Welcome to the Training Design Podcast. 45 minutes-ish of practical tips and insights on training design with me, Terry Pierce of Untold Play. And me, Sheridan Webb of the Training Designers Club. Hi, we're really pleased to be back after an extended break, a little bit longer than we thought it was going to be. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot going on in the world. How are you, Sheridan? I'm, I'm really good, all things considered, Terry, and I am absolutely delighted to be getting back to the Training Design Podcast. How are you? Yeah, likewise, really good at the moment and really pleased to be back talking to you uh, about the things that we love talking about. Yeah, it's been a it's been a uh, strange break for me. Like a lot of people out there, I'm sure uh, I've been having to adjust to the new landscape. And uh, part of that, I've uh, created a new business. So uh, as well as my wow. 360 business uh, for general design consultancy, and I have uh, a business, Untold Play, uh, which is about games and gamification. I'm really focused on that, uh, which I'm planning to use to launch game based products. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Definitely the way forward, I think. I think one thing this whole um, situation has taught us all is that we need to think more creatively about how we design and deliver training. And I think, you know, games is, has definitely captured a lot of people's attention. So great. And I think you've been uh, changing your focus a little bit over the break as well, haven't you? I have. Um, as you know, I've, I've have fingers in many pies but the, the great thing with um everybody having to sort of pause and take a break is it's given me a real opportunity to focus on developing the training designers club um so i've been doing a lot more in there i ran a pop-up program um for the vip members and i've been just busy adding more and more resources into that and really trying to grow the community nice to have the the space and the headspace to do that really rather than constantly you know rushing around delivering or designing things to order which is what i would normally be doing great yeah and as a member of the training designers club i've, I've, I've seen that growth and, and i've had some really good connections on there and some really good experiences with uh, a lot of the the really great membership thank you very so much well, well like, like any membership it, it depends on the quality of the people in there and the interactions but yeah it's um, it is starting to find its identity and find its feet now which is brilliant excellent I think the other thing that the breaks allowed us to do is uh, see how the the lie of the land is in terms of the kind of topics that we might usefully focus on that might be helpful and uh, and profitable to uh, to our listeners. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, and th there's been one big overriding one, hasn't there, Terry? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard to look past the shift <laughs> to virtual, really. So yeah. that's where we're going to start. In fact, so. I think there are lots of different elements that we can spin off and you'll see some of those as, as the, the season, season two develops. Yeah. But the key thing that we're going to start off with is designing for virtual. Uh, and we're going to do that over a kind of two-parter, our first two-parter with a bit of a cliffhanger perhaps between, we'll see. <laughs> and the uh, first of that is going to be the foundations of designing virtual sessions. Uh, and then the second next week is going to be enhancing virtual sessions and really making them stand out yeah so on that first topic uh designing for virtual sessions and uh, designing specifically the foundations of a great virtual session um i think it might be good to start just really kind of defining our terms uh always important uh what do we really mean when we say virtual training because there's a lot of people using that word there are, aren't there? And I think it does mean different things to different people. And as long as you know what it means, and as long as the person you're talking to knows what it means, um, I don't think it's, it's that important. But for the purposes of this podcast, 
Um, for me, virtual training is live training delivered by a screen. So we're not talking about e-learning. We're not talking about online courses. We're not even really talking about webinars, although you can have interactive webinars. I find a lot of webinars have very limited interaction. So for me, it is about um, translating what we would normally do face to face in and delivering it via a screen. So keeping all that interactive element in there. Mm. I think that's a really good uh, separation that you've made there. Yeah, I think it's important to be clear on that because it almost seems like everything is virtual now, but definitely there's different good practice guidelines for all of those different things. And, and maybe we'll look at some of those other ones, but we're just talking about those live virtual learning sessions. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's, that's certainly what we've seen in our communities, isn't it? Is that that's where the focus has been. That's what people want to be able to, to do well. Um, so to translate what they always used to do face to face. Um, and, and get the same vibe and get the same results yeah which is really tough actually I think we might be talking about even that that word translation uh, a little bit as we go uh, but but I think people certainly initially in my experience they have struggled a little bit or some people have a lot of people have uh, to yeah as you say take what they were doing what they were good at what they were experienced at and make that into something that's really really good virtually why do you think that is why have people struggled um, well, uh, well, apart from the initial shock, I think when, you know, training just shut down literally over a week um, and left everybody a little bit shell shocked. It's really interesting because I've had two separate conversations in the last week and they were almost identical with two people who do not know each other saying that actually what a lot of very, very good facilitators, very credible facilitators, very successful trainers have kind of realized is how much they were relying on instinct and experience to deliver their sessions you know they know their content inside out um, they they've got all the facilitation skills so that they can very much read a room they can react in the moment they have a route map in their mind um, and that in their mind is design now what they realize quite quickly i think is that um, you can't be as reactive as an instinctive um, when you're delivering virtually so all the the sort of rough planning that they used to do before isn't enough for delivering virtually there's a there's an awful lot more that you have to think about and we the thing that we've always advocated Terry and it is the one thing that you know it, I bang the drum about constantly is about that designing in detail and if you're not in the habit of following a process designing in detail um I think just being faced with a screen and the vague ideas of what you used to cover before, it can be quite overwhelming. Mm. I think that's a really great point. And I think, you know, it's, it's very understandable that we, uh, you know, over the years we get really good at what we're doing and we, and we get to the point where we don't think about it. It's, it's really that kind of unconscious competence thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've been doing it so long. We don't even think about how we do it anymore. And you know, we are being, we've been flung into a brand new environment and straight away we're into unconscious, so conscious incompetence or at mm. best conscious competence. Mm. Um, so it feels like it's a lot harder work, I think. Mm, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, what are the biggest challenges that you've kind of found and faced yourself in terms of moving away from that kind of winging it to, to, to making it really work? Um, personally, um, I'm nervous around technology, um, so I always worry about how to make it all work. But thankfully, sort of in my role as sort of community manager as Train Designers Club, um, I don't do a vast amount of delivery myself. But the members have been telling me, obviously, of different challenges that they've had, and I've sort of joined them on their learning journeys. 
two things really struck me quite early on um, as to why people were struggling. One is that they were oversimplifying it. Um, and by that, I mean, um, one, one lady was telling me that her colleagues, and this is why she came to me, her colleagues had gone through their courses and basically gone through and said, well, we can't do that online. We can't do that online. We can't do that online. So they cut everything out. So what they ended up with was basically a lecture, um, which obviously was not interactive, not engaging and really didn't deliver the results. On the other hand, we have people who overcomplicate it and look at their face-to-face -face session and try and replicate every single thing in the exact same way. And we get ourselves knots, we get ourselves tied up. Um, we, we end up with you know, 16 tabs open and really, really making life difficult for ourselves. So it's not a direct translation. And I think that's probably the first and most important lesson that everybody found. I don't mm. know about you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've done some virtual design over the years uh, and even with that, uh, just doing a bit more of it recently I've, a couple of times you know I've, I've almost had that as, a, as, a, as an idea that I needed to simplify and not try and do things in the exact same way but even then found myself not quite simplifying enough uh, hopefully I haven't made too much of the first error uh, but I could see how people could that yeah you know just ripping everything out and making it into a lecture is perhaps the, the safest or safest seeming way to go yeah. you know, especially when um, people and um, Every single training designer and facilitator that we've spoken to about this has been under pressure to shorten the time. So, oh, we can't do a full day session. Can you do it in two hours? So obviously the easiest way to do that is to cut out all the activity. Mm. Um, but the one thing that you know, we need to bear in mind is that when we are designing training, and especially now, it's not about providing content. And I know that mm. you've been on this bus for a very long time, Terry. Um, we are not content providers. We need to bring stuff to life. Um, if, if we're just providing content, get someone to read a book, get yeah. them to watch a video. Absolutely. So I, I think the times thing is, is quite relevant. I don't know if you were planning to, to mention that somewhere else, but yeah, you know, trying to get the times right is, is probably quite difficult for a lot of people, isn't it? It is um, because we do have to bear in mind attention spans um, mm. of the people attending the courses and it is harder to keep people engaged for longer periods of time. There's, there's no question about that. Mm. Um, and I believe there's lots of research out there that says we have to have an interaction every two to three minutes with, mm. with online training. So it doesn't mean to say we have to do a big activity or have a group discussion, but we have to have something as a little check-in. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah, the, the, the pressure, this is where the misunderstanding, I think, comes from the, you know, from the senior leadership team or the client who's commissioning the work is there's still this belief that training is just providing information. Mm. And if that's all it is, and I say you, you can do it in other ways, you, you, you can create an e-learning module. In fact, one of the things I'm converting at the moment, um, we are taking our one day courses and we're turning them into two two hour sessions but we are including, um, and, and some of them are including an e-learning module and in others we are including, you know, um, independent study as well. So it, it is difficult to get the timing right because your activities don't take any less time to do. In fact, it, we've, what we've found is they often take more time to do. Yeah, definitely. So it, it is a constant challenge. But I mean, really, you're talking there about some, some kind of basic stuff around training design, which is around what, behaviors or outcomes you want it for people and you're not just wanting people to be able to regurgitate facts you want it to usually 
change behaviors or uh, improve skills or so on which means yeah those activities those involvements and, and mm-hmm. I'm breaking it down so important as well, isn't it? So we, we actually we want people to just maybe focus on one thing and then go away and reflect and take some action and then come back, um, focus on another thing, reflect it and take some action, which is why sort of breaking your day down into two or three bite-sized modules can work really well. Mm. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the kind of doing things between the face-to-face time, I think, in episode two as well, aren't we? But Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Talk about technology. Uh, do you want to say a little bit more about the challenges in terms of some of the, the, the technological challenges there? Sure, um, because I am the queen of technological challenge. Um, <laughs> technology is not always my friend, but I, I do persevere. Um, a couple of things um, have really come, to, my, uh, have come to, to be highlighted to me, really. One is the different platforms. Um, so they're not all exactly the same. So as a training designer, if you know what platform you're going to be using, it makes it easier um, to actually design a session that will flow and will be easy for you to administer. Um, so, but a lot of clients are saying, so you design a session, say, to be running Zoom, and then your client tells you that, no, you can't use Zoom for security reasons. You have to use um, Skype. I mean, Skype is not a training platform it's it really is dire um but more commonly we're asked to use microsoft teams or webex and they're 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 all functional um and they all do um do allow a lot of the, the the basic capabilities for online training but there is a difference so as a face to face facilitator one room's another room's another room you know it's it's all the same whereas when you're actually having to learn all these different platforms it in the design phase as well as in the delivery phase, it does add a layer of complexity. Definitely. There's also, what we've got to think about is, is our delegates and our learners. Now, the people attending virtual training by now are almost certainly absolutely comfortable with doing online meetings. So actually accessing you know, the technology is easy. Mm. However, the challenge should come from the learning and not from the tech. So if people are struggling to complete an exercise online, if they have attended on tablet or phone that doesn't have the full functionality, um, you can lose so much time um, trying to get people engaged and get people all in the same place. People drop off. Um, you know, if we have internet problems. They click on the wrong link. I mean, I've done it myself. I thought, well, I'll just go back and I ended up exiting the meeting. So it can create all sorts of problems that, just adds that other layer of things that we need to think about when we are designing a session. Yeah, I think that's huge. And uh, in, in terms of when I've been designing stuff again, you know, just trying to get that level right and, and thinking about, okay, I want them to, well, I, I guess another way to think about it is if they're in a classroom, then all they've got to think about is learning. They don't have to think yeah. about how to talk or how to write because these are things they know really well. So but true. As, as soon as they're on a, you know, perhaps an unfamiliar uh, virtual platform they have to think about how to actually do the things that allow them to communicate their ideas yeah. mm. so uh, as a learning designer we have to think about making it easy for ourselves and making it easy for the participants as well mm. Mm. Um, and sometimes just taking it down to its simplest form is the right thing to do mm. um, because i think the other thing with technology and i don't want to go down this route on this episode we've got enough to talk about as it mm-hmm. is is Trainers are just a phenomenal um, group of people. They're so creative. They're so curious. They're so hardworking. And almost everybody we know has, has got to grips with the basics now. Mm. Um, but that means that like, they're like, what's next? So how can I, make, how can I add all the whistles and bells? Um, but actually, the, 
the vast majority of learners and delegates aren't in that place yet. So we have to work at the same pace as the people attending the sessions, or we're just going to lose people. And that's when you get it, you know, it being declared that virtual training doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work if it's done badly. It, it can work very, very well, but we have to give so much more thought to the design and to the prep than you perhaps would do if you were doing a face-to-face -face session. Yeah, I agree. So we're kind of leading up to some, well, we talked about some of the things that we can do wrong or some things that go badly. How, how should we do it? How would you recommend people go about designing for digital delivery? It's, um, I ran this pop-up pop programme with the VIP members of the Training Science Club and I actually took them back to basics because a lot of people do a lot of things well. However, there tends to be something that we've missed which means that the design feels like incredibly hard work um, and it's usually because we've missed something out so I in my own mind I've made this up completely by the way but you know it could end up being copyrighted and all the rest of it um, I've, I've come up with four pillars of training design which are actually relevant to virtual and to face-to-face -to -face. but what we've found as you said um, when you know your subject and you are an experienced facilitator you don't necessarily go through the process. You can, you can shortcut it. Um, whereas if we're designing for virtual, you can't shortcut it um, because you will end up in a knot somewhere along the line. So shall I tell you what the four pillars are? Please do, yeah, no, I'm, I'm dying to know. <laughs> well, they won't come as any surprise to you, Terry. Um, I'm just going to have to remember that because I haven't actually written them down off the top of my head. So the four pillars are very, very simply is why, who, what, and how. Those uh, trusty words. Was Indeed. It Kipling, who called them as serving, trusting, trusted serving men, something like that. Yeah. Yes, great. Okay, good. And then uh, on the pop-up programme, we actually, so, so we had four sessions covering those things, and then we had a fifth one, which was called Whistles and Bells. Mm. And it was quite interesting. A couple of people I've spoken to said, what we tend to fall into the trap of it is saying, well, what content are we going to do? How can we make it sexy? And that's mm. the extent of training design. So, but that's only two of those five. <laughs> sure. Okay, you're going to talk us through what we mean in this context by why, yeah. what, why, who, what, and how. That's the right. Of order. course, what, yeah. Why, now, why, why, who, what, and how? Why? We start with why, then we think about who, then we decide what, and then we consider how. Um, I have actually put together a um, an online course to go through this in a little bit more detail, um, but I'm very happy to go through the top line of it. So, why is I call this the the, the outcome so in one sentence what is the purpose of the training you know what will somebody be able to do at the end of the training that they can't do at the start of the training so what is the transformation that this training will provide and a lot of people don't think that through um, a lot of people are really good at writing objectives and you know i was helping the lady recently she had a great little course but it was actually quite theoretical um, so it was all about you're going to learn this theory you're going to be able to cite these things it's like no how is that going to excite me and how is that going to make me want to engage with your course because mm -hmm. when we are doing virtual training we have to be mindful that people are more easily distracted yeah I think that's a really good call actually around you know, trying to have this really capsule kind of uh, aim rather than these really structured objectives sometimes I mean it's, it's great to have those kind of bloom friendly uh measurable objectives for measuring yeah 
but for actually inspiring people and for giving yourself a sense of direction for the whole thing, particularly in a, in a kind of uh, small virtual session, then yeah, that sounds really good. And it, as you say, it just really um, focuses the mind. Mm. Um, and it helps when we've been looking at translating face-to-face courses to online and you talked before about how you know the, the pressure we're under to cut out content and to reduce the time that really helps you decide what you can go without and what you can't mm. so why is really important um, and then we think about who mm. so who is this aimed at um, this should be normally part of any um, training needs analysis that you do, any training design that you do, any research that you do. Um, we don't always know that, of course. Lots of people design a course and then sell it. You know, um, I design power hours. I don't know where they're going to end up, so I can't really think about who. Mm. But certainly for people who are in organisations or are working on a commissioned piece of work, again, it helps with the time and the focus. It, the better we can understand our target audience, the better we can really ta- tailor that training and we can keep it short and to the point because we're mm. not doing if, if, if all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just who they are and what they do, which is something that I've always thought about anyway. So they are supervisors on a, you know, a food packing line or, or whatever it is. They are you know, IT specialists in a tech company. It's also where they are with the tech and where they are physically. So are, are they, you know, at the moment, yes, people are often working at home, but not everybody is. So how familiar are they with the tech? Where, where are they up to? If, you know, if you're training people who are used to working in an office, you can probably safely assume that they're a little bit more comfortable using digital tools than those who do work on a production line, who mm. probably you know, use the you know, social media apps and, and YouTube. You know. So it's, we really do have to take that into account so that we can start where they are and it will help inform you know, the, the methods that we use um, as, as we build our session. Yeah, that makes me think as well about this fact that it's, I think sometimes we kind of design for for a default and then don't think too much about the exceptions. Which you know, I, th- I think if if you learn all about lean, that's a, that's kind of a good principle. But actually, for training design, it means that you might have someone there on a on a tablet or someone who's uh, I don't know in a in a situation at home where they don't really want to turn their camera on because there's something about the, their home environment or something like that. Where actually you're now thinking, well this isn't really going to work if you encounter that as you're delivering the session. But if you've designed for that and talked about, okay, we may have some people in this situation, this is how we'll handle them. You're yeah. in a much better place. Yeah. So we have to think a lot more. And also, I mean, I don't know how we can design around this, but it is something you have to bear in mind. People that don't have decent internet, Terry. Mm, Can't imagine yeah. anybody who doesn't have that. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> well, your, inter- your internet's a lot better these days, isn't it? Oh, but... my internet's fabulous now. But this time last year, I couldn't mm. have done this. Mm, I couldn't mm. have done it. So, and yeah. people are still in that situation. So again, sometimes all the fancy or singing or dancing apps um, actually put barriers up to learning rather than making it easier. Good. So that's a, 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 a yeah, a great place to focus on. So we've got the why, we've got the who, and then and then we get to what. And this is where most people start. Mm. Um, now, what has two elements to it? Um, and you've already alluded to one. What The first, what is the objectives? So we've got our outcome, we've got our why, and then the objectives are the specific things that we need to cover to allow us to achieve our outcome. And yep, the Bloom-friendly stuff is definitely worth writing down because it, it can help sell it, it can help with a, you know, with a, a simple evaluation, and it helps you to guide your design as well. So I still think objectives are worthwhile including in there. Mm-hmm. And the second part of what is deciding your content. 
obviously. So what are you going to cover in this session to achieve those objectives, bearing in mind where people are starting from? So, you know, what don't you need to cover because you can assume that they already know? What do you need to cover because it's a pressing need for them given where they want to go? And then what we need to do, obviously, is then um, prioritise that content and, you know, sort it all out and really really focus on what is going to make the biggest difference not what is our pet topic or favorite thing to talk about we mm. don't have the luxury online i've done it i'm sure you've done it on a on a face-to-face -face training session we perhaps have the luxury of being able to spend 10-15 minutes just going off at a tangent on something that's interesting but not actually directly relevant you, you can't do that online I think it's partly the fact that it's online that causes that because yeah, you've got all this uh, that we were talking around around people having to deal with the technology, but I think it's also the fact that it's bite-sized, uh, mm. which, so even when I run face-to-face bite-sized sessions, I really feel that the fact that I can't go off on these little tangents or take a little bit of time to explore something that's interesting, but not quite aligned with the objectives. And that's certainly something that I've found when I've been working with the VIPs, they're experts in their field, they feel that all their content is crucial, but actually that's why that outcome is so important. Is it really crucial or is it just a nice to have? Mm, yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, and if it's nice to have, and we'll talk, about, we'll talk about this on the second one, I think more is wh what do you do with that nice to have? Because we shouldn't necessarily deny it to people, but it shouldn't necessarily be in the core session either. Mm, mm. So the what really is about uh, the objectives and about sorting your content and making sure you know what you're going to cover. And being ruthless with it. Be ruthless. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then the fourth one is how. So how mm. are we going to bring this to life? And again, there's two main things in the how. One is the structure. Mm. So what is going to be our flow through the session? And um, I've talked about master before as being my go-to structure. So I'm not going to go into that again. But if you can follow the master structure, you won't go wrong. And I think we're going to cover master structuring training using master later in the season episode six i think we're planning that and the 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 second part is methods which is what we really where we started talking about isn't it so how mm. do you bring this to life in a virtual world and i've actually come up with 12 ways that you can bring virtual training to life without leaving your hosting platform um, which i'll post on the facebook page because I think there is a danger that we, we get blinkered a little bit. We'll think we can, we can do um, slide annotation, chat and breakout rooms, and that's all we've got. Actually, there is a lot more mm. um, that we can do just this. And if we can keep it all in the platform, I think that makes it easier for participants. Um, there are times when we do need to go off platform and do things that are a little bit more, more complicated. Um, but there's so much that we can do, um, but we have to plan it more. Mm. So if I can give an example of that. Yeah, great. Um, so, so case studies, you know, I love my case studies. Mm. You can do case studies in a virtual environment. Um, you can give different groups, different case studies. But in a face-to-face -face environment, it's so easy, isn't it? You just put people in groups, you give them the different cases, you physically hand it over, off they go, they chat about it, they report back on with a flip chart paper, and it's mm. so easy to manage. We have to plan that more in advance if we're doing the virtual session. So we may have to give out the, the handouts in advance. So maybe we give them out with the, with the joining instructions to say these are for use in the session. Um, if you've got a shared drive, so if you're using something like Microsoft Teams, um, that, that's a really 
great way to share documentation so we can put things in a shared drive or if everyone's in the same organization you know google drive something like that can work really well um, or you have to think in advance um, and share in chat uh, certainly in zoom you can share documents mm. in chat mm. but people need really clear instructions as to what to do with that and when to do with it uh, so it's this is where the we really really have to think through every aspect of the training session not just the core aspects of it yeah i think the clear instructions are huge and i think if possible if those instructions can uh, if it's particularly if you're giving instructions for an activity if those instructions can be visual as well as spoken uh, and yeah. again that, that's great practice in face to face but perhaps even more important in a virtual environment where perhaps your delegates are sitting there you know with distractions around them noise around them maybe you know with the best one in the world some of them are probably checking their emails every now and again and if you can do all that you're sorted <laughs> simple as that simple as that <laughs> I, th I think it's a great structure i think that that really works and and as you said though it, it kind of does apply in some ways to both face-to-face -face and virtual it's about thinking though about how it applies to virtual Without going to some of the things we're going to go into in uh, episode two of this, in section two of this, which is going to be all about kind of really uh, bringing sessions to, to life, enhancing them, making them pop. Um, is, is there anything else you, you'd kind of add in there about the, uh, the kind of how, I guess, the, the, the things that really work in virtual or things that really don't, pitfalls? What, am I, what, what the VIP members of the Training Designers Club have told me um, is what people gain most value from face-to-face -face, still applies and that is really interesting discussions mm. so asking a really good question um, allowing people to discuss it and you know taking the learning from that so i've had at least half a dozen people tell me that that has been the most effective part of their virtual session mm. Um, and the other lesson that's come out of it is you need to allow even more time than you would face to face. Mm. Because when you put people into breakout rooms, for example, um, they may not have had the opportunity just to chat. Yeah. So they will want to do that little social chit chat before they get into the activity. Because obviously, if you're running face to face, you know, people chat as they arrive and they, they chat, you know, generally during other discussions that are going on so um you, you do need to allow a little bit more time for people to to get themselves settled and to come back um with, with their responses and again like you say it's about being really really clear about how to respond so mm. one of the things um i learned very quickly when i was um translating my power hours was when you put them into breakout groups um ask them to create a document that can be shared so in whatever format and elect a spokesperson to mm. come back because again face to face you don't need to say you must elect a spokesperson you can just leave it um, and it will sort itself out but virtually you, you can have loads of air, dead air time as it were while people try to think well i don't want to step in yeah definitely uh, something i do in my delivery which i've kind of tried to work into my design as well definitely is the idea of an output so for for your activity the output you know the activity is you're doing this for 10 minutes mm. but the output you need to have at the end of that 10 minutes this document or these points or as yeah. you say the person nominated who's going to present them or whatever it might be yeah yeah no really good reminder actually yeah but totally explicit about what you expect expect them to produce yeah i think there's some really good tips there 
Something I'd add in there is designing in time for people to familiarize themselves with any tool or any process, particularly involving technology, that's uh, that's new to them. So in particular, you know, I, I, I think it works really well when you get people to use a new tool to introduce themselves mm -hmm. or get something like that. But if you get people to use a new tool or a new idea to uh, you know, illustrate a learning point that they're actively learning and it's all new to them. That's two new things at once and it doesn't yes. work. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be too much, can't it? Mm. So yeah, inconsequential stuff for, uh, in terms of content for when you're learning a new process. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a really good point. So if we're, if the method is complicated, the, the, the learning has to be simple. Mm. Um, and vice versa, I suppose. Yeah. Especially remembering what we were saying before about you've got to design for the exceptions as well. So if your average person is averagely tech savvy and tech happy, then you've always got that person at the bottom of that curve who is not really very happy with tech and is going to fumble through it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And I think it goes for, um, I mean, we don't really talk about facilitation. Um, you and I both design for other facilitators as well as for ourselves just one last thing it's worth adding is you need to give more instructions for the facilitator, especially if it's not you, but even if it is you, there's a lot more prep that you mm. have to do. Like you said, you might have to set up a poll somewhere, for example, mm. you can't do it on the fly. Um, you have to prepare so much more in advance. You have to prepare mm. your activity instructions in advance. You can't just write them on the whiteboard, you know, at the time. Mm. So it is, it's all of that sort of thing. And, and that's why if you're not in the habit of following a process, when you design training, the transition to virtual feels like a very steep learning curve. Mm. Well, actually what I realized, um, as I did a few myself, and I was relieved to find that the, the principle, the principles are exactly the same. We are mm. just applying them in a slightly different way. Yeah. I think, you know, I think all designers and trainers are going to go on that journey to some extent or already are on it. Uh, I think we, as designers, we can make it easier for trainers to, mm. to, to do that well by, by kind of, you know, without patronizing those who may already be doing it, including it in the instructions, you know, yeah. so talking about the, just as you would with a room, you know, and, and if I'm designing face-to-face -face training, then I will definitely uh, put something in there about the key things you need to prepare beforehand, but perhaps that goes double for the virtual environment. Yeah, I think it does. So I think there's some great stuff for our first part. We, we have to leave something back for the second part for next week, but let's see what we've covered today. We've talked about, uh, correct me if, the, if I've missed anything here, Sheridan, but the key things that I've took from, from our conversation today are it can be a real struggle to change from being a face-to-face -face focused trainer and trend designer to a virtually focused one and a lot of people struggle because they try and wing it from their their kind of instincts in the classroom or in designing for classroom which actually don't always translate to the virtual environment uh, in particular people try and oversimplify things sometimes and it turns into a lecture or people sometimes overcomplicate things and try and make it uh, too involved and too similar to a real life session which can't um, doesn't always work you lose people that way mm, yeah then we talked a little bit about uh, the challenge coming from the learning, not the technology. So making sure that we know ourselves how to use technology, that we're designing for the right platform if possible, or designing uh, with many platforms in mind, if not, 
talked about some kind of general tips for making sure that that, that learning is maximized, like uh, design a check-in every few minutes or interaction every few minutes so that people aren't drifting off. Talked a little bit about knowing your platform well yourself so that you can uh, make sure you're designing uh, to maximize its, 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 its features. Uh, and talked about keeping things simple wherever possible uh, rather than making things too complex, uh, particularly with instructions, giving people instructions. And simple doesn't need, doesn't need to be dull. Simple is just mm. straightforward. We, we mm. can have a really, really challenging conversation. Uh, yeah. And that's simple to administer. Definitely. And then we introduced our four pillars. Uh, so your four pillars are why, who, what and how. In that order. In that order. <laughs> So we, should, uh, we shouldn't take any shortcuts on those. We should start off with the why and have a really clear, uh, brief idea of the outcome, uh, the behavior, the do that we want people to do. Uh, we should then think about the who is our target audience and their specific circumstances, including technology and uh, location, all those kind of things. Um, then we should look at the what, which is the objectives and the content. Uh, so making sure, you know, in, in that more Bloomstack economy kind of way, we do have some really measurable objectives but also that the content we're going to cover matches those, which only then leaves us thinking about the how, uh, the structure and flow are of those contents and the actual methods, activities, et cetera, that we use to, uh, to, to get that content across. And that we should, as part of that, plan well with clear instructions. Then we just had a few more general tips to, to stop things going wrong. So make sure you don't forget some of the basic but fantastic things like uh, really good questions with space for good discussion. Um, leaving more time for things. Things are always going to take more time than you expect. And thinking about how people are going to respond to instructions and making it very clear how they should respond, doing things like specifying the output from a particular activity. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Um, I don't think so, because I am genuinely convinced that if you do those things, and particularly if you do them in that order, you will design a session that will work. No question, that will work. Um, and what it's really important, that if you're, particularly if you're new to designing for virtual, is you need to walk before you try and run. Mm. So let's get comfortable walking. Let's get that walking feeling like it's, um, you know, that we're confident with it, that we're comfortable with it. Um, and then we can start thinking, well, how can I enhance this? How can I add a few whistles and bells? How can we do something a little bit different? Um, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Get the basics right first. Great advice. Excellent. Okay. So that's our main topic for this week. It right. is. Um, and, and I'm quite impressed with myself that I didn't ramble on for hours because it is something I'm passionate about. Um, but I'm interested to know, Terry, um, you know, what you want to talk about this week, maybe that isn't directly related to this, um, mm. but to give us something else to think about as training designers, because it isn't all about, you know, delivering sessions via zoom is it <laughs> no it's not in terms of what i've been doing over the course of the last few months is a lot of things have been changing for me in terms of the the kind of amount of time that i've been spending on different elements of my work and one of the elements that has come to the fore uh, is writing mm -hmm. so i've always written a bit of a blog i uh, have occasionally done little bits of other pieces uh, things for medium things like that uh, but and over kind of recent times I've, I've started doing things in a more formal kind of way. Uh, so over the last couple of years, I've started writing for Bookboon, started writing eBooks. And then just more recently, and this is what's been happening over kind of lockdown for me in particular, writing articles uh, for 
couple, well, a couple of sources in particular I've been either writing for or, or, or discussing writing for and planning for writing for, uh, Ludogogi magazine, which is a uh, magazine which is about uh, learning through play, learning through games, as, as what Ludogogi means. Uh, and they're great people to work with. Um, yeah, also, I've looked at some of their articles. They're really interesting. Mm, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's right up my street. You know, yeah, so it is. <laughs> exactly the kind of thing that I'm, I'm really interested in. So I got involved in writing for them and also now just uh, in discussions with Training Zone, which I'm really pleased about. And I know, I think you've been talking to them as well. Have you yes, yeah, yes. yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, so look perhaps, out, folks. We're, uh, we're going to be in Training Zone soon, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> well, by the time that this actually uh, hits, the, it hits the airwaves, then we may actually already be there, in which case we'll make sure that the Training Zone link is in the uh, show notes, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. But the... The upshot of all this, this isn't just, this isn't just me uh, bigging myself up about all these places that I've been writing. Um, it, I, I've always got this kind of reflective mode where I just sit back and look at what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And it's been quite interesting to me to kind of get into that mode and look at writing and think about how it's similar to and or different from what I normally do, designing uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of uh, some, a bit of delivery and training. Um, so that's been, been really interesting. So how is it different? Well, I've kind of come to the conclusion that it, that is more similar than it's different. Um, yeah. I think, you know, there's obviously there's less interaction than in most of the other things that I get involved in, whether that's designing training sessions or even designing games and, and products like that. But once you get past the lack of interaction, a lot of the things about taking a topic and working out who your audience is and what they need to know and how you're going to communicate and how you're going to structure it and what you're going to include. All this kind of stuff really ends up being very similar. In fact, as you were talking about why, who, what, and how, I was thinking about how those could absolutely apply to writing an article. You know, yeah. I've got my, my key message, which often might well be the subtitle if it's an article, for instance. Definitely my who and mm-hmm. you know where they're coming from, what their resistance is to the topic might be, or how I might appeal to them, uh, some of those kind of things. Definitely the, the kind of what I want to get across. And there's something I've used in writing for a long time, uh, know, feel, and do, uh, which I use when I'm, when I'm kind of designing and training sessions around writing skills. What do I want the audience to know factually? How do I want them to feel emotionally? And what do I want them to do practically? Oh, I like that. Mm, it's really, really powerful, I think. Yeah. Um, but that fits right into that kind of space where normally, you know, you'd have your, your kind of objectives, perhaps, for a, tra- mm. for a training session or something like that. And then your how is, is really kind of, and your content, first of all, sorry, and then how you communicate your content is, is, is kind of, yeah, again, it all kind of aligns. So, I, you know, I think one of the reasons that, that I'm doing quite well at writing, you know, because I'm getting a lot of good feedback on the stuff that I'm doing and getting more opportunities to do it is because it uses a lot of those same skills. You've obviously got to be able to put words together. Yes. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the actual kind of structuring it and thinking about it and working through it, it's very similar skill set, I think. Mm. How, yeah, how, and, and I know that you, lo- you love your writing. So mm. it is very much a labour of love for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's something I've always done. Uh, I've, you know, written as a hobby. Uh, I think I mentioned in the storytelling episode that if you Google hard enough, you might find some of my short stories somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, uh, absolutely. It's something I kind of love doing. So it's been really enjoyable to mm. match that up, marry that up with uh, what I'm doing in a work context, which I kind of hadn't, you know, up until a couple of years ago, I'd kind of kept the two quite separate, I think. I don't know if it's something that happens as you get older or if, if it's just linked to experience or whatever. It's probably is an experience thing, how you do start to see links 
between mm. different things and you start to see patterns emerging so and, and we this is where i think we we kind of um start to identify those underlying skills or underlying principles that we mm. perhaps didn't realize were there before and i think you do have to discover them for yourself don't you i think that's a really really powerful insight actually sharon to be honest <laughs> what you just said there i think that's, that's much bigger than in a way than all the topics we're talking about today i think if you think about you know kind of huge things like how scientific discoveries are made you know they're often made because somebody knows their stuff deeply enough to stand back from it and look at it and think about it uh you know like newton sitting under the tree perhaps with his apple or mm. whatever so yeah absolutely uh, i think you know once you really know your stuff about something and and you can kind of sit back you start to see these patterns and links if you know two sets of things you can see links between them yeah um yeah definitely Oh, that's just given me insights as well, <laughs> which is, which is, you know, as we've been working with uh, people in the Train Designers Club, they're so close to their content and mm. it is, you can't see the woods for the trees, whereas I am just that little bit further removed and I can mm. look at the concepts and the principles um, mm. and help them to see it from a different angle. So mm. it's, um, it is, yeah, really, really important to be able to take that step back, I think. And like I say, develop your skills maybe in a slightly different way. Yeah. Which actually brings me to the, the, one other thing that I wanted to say about that experience of writing, which is that I, I really would encourage anyone who is quite, uh, quite kind of maybe siloed or focused around one thing in terms of what they're doing in their work. So anyone who is just doing instructional design, perhaps, or whatever mm -hmm. it might be, to try and branch out a little bit to things that might not be a million miles away, but that you know, are a little bit different, force you to work in a different way. And I think will, for a lot of people, if you find the right thing, uh, will make things more enjoyable for you, but also kind of develop your skills both in the new area and like we just said, make you reflect back on the old area. Mm. Yeah, it, it's almost development by stealth, isn't it? You don't even mm. know you're doing it. Mm. Uh, good, well, I'm glad your writing's going really well. Mm. Um, and fingers crossed, um, we'll both get published in Training Zone, but um, you know, whatever will be, will be on that score. Um, but Excellent. I know that um, your writing will pop up in lots of different areas mm. as well. And, you know, do share it um, on the podcast page when, yes. when, when they do get shared. And feel free to share them in the Train Designers Club as well, because we, we're all interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and I'll pop Ludogogi and a couple of others in the show notes if anyone's interested in, in checking some of those out, either just for, the, for their own uh, write or for my writing in them. Yeah, and we'll also pop in the um, 12 Methods to Bring Your Learning to Life um, within your platform and a link to the online course on the four pillars if that's something you want to do in a bit more detail fabulous so uh, i've really enjoyed getting back to business with the podcast sheridan i think oh so have i <laughs> i think we're kind of done for this first session yep. um but you know as as ever we're really really keen to hear from people uh we'd love to hear you uh comment let's see you comment on the facebook page talk about uh this topic and uh, some of the things we've talked about or talk about what you'd like us to ask in the future or you can check either of us out separately uh as i said my new business is untold play uh you can find links to that and my my old business uh, old, <laughs> uh 360 learning design uh via the facebook page the easiest way to find me is just to google the training designers club there is a free facebook group there's also a website where you can become a vip member um, and you can find me on linkedin um, it's sheridan webb um, training design specialist i think but sheridan webb's quite an unusual name anyway so i'd love to welcome you into the training designers club if you're not already there fabulous so 
this is our part one, has been our part one. So if you tune in next week, you will uh, hear us pick right back up and say, okay, how can we develop these ideas to make sessions even more powerful and engaging? Really looking forward to that one, Terry. Been great speaking to you, Sheridan. Okay, until next time then. Until next time. Bye.